Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, this is... This is Fotations Live to Tape. This is a podcast with a live reading of the Junior Classics Volume 1 Fairy and Wonder Tales. Now, this is a podcasting 2.0 podcast, and that means that if you found this in your app, you're already listening to a podcasting uh, 2.0 app because I didn't publish to uh, I didn't publish to Apple's iTunes. I didn't publish to Spotify. Uh, right now, Apple doesn't really care about podcasting, and their support for both hosting and distributing podcasts is atrocious. Uh, there are people who will post a podcast at like 10 in the morning on Tuesday, and it won't get to uh, people's phones or iPads or even computers until, you know, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. So it doesn't update well. Uh, they're kind of rude to hosting companies where they bombard them with um you know, uh, you know, requests for checking, you know, if podcasts have updated or not. So they do that like thousands of requests a second. And then Spotify doesn't pay its artists. Um, and when they, they're not really honest on how many views uh, the artist gets in terms of the podcaster. And it's so low that it just doesn't make financial sense to go to Spotify. And... So this is podcasting 2.0. What's different about that is I don't I don't do advertisement. Uh, my YouTube videos might have advertisement, but I've actually been kicked out twice of the YouTube uh, partner program, not because I did anything bad or anything, just because um, originally you just had to be in good standing and you can make advertisement on your videos. And then there was some controversy. And so it's always somebody bad that ruins it for everyone. So then they said, okay, you can't make monetary, uh, make money off your ads unless you have, um, it was a low number. It was like, unless you have a thousand, no, it was views first, I think, unless you have, you know, a thousand views. So I had a thousand, so I was kicked out because I didn't have a thousand views. And then I got a thousand views and I came back into the partner program and it's all automated i didn't reapply or anything they're like welcome back and so then uh again more controversy happened and so youtube said okay uh you can't make ad money from your ads unless you have i think it's over five thousand views now which i don't have on youtube and then you have to have at least a thousand subscribers which i'm nowhere close to I have 20, which I'm completely happy with, and I love these 20 people. They have been there for years, and uh, I do it for you. So YouTube kicked me out again, and so the joke of it is, even though they keep kicking me out, they still run ads on my videos regardless of whether I want them or not. So if, uh, if you're seeing an ad while you're watching this on YouTube, I didn't have a choice, and I don't get paid by it. Uh, number three, if I ever do get back in the partner program, I will be placing my ads at the end of the video, so when you start the video and watch it, uh, it will start ad-free, and then uh, at, at the end, 
you'll probably click away and that's okay because I, I don't want to do ads anymore. The other big problem is I used to run ads on my website, which I'm slowly taking them down. I'm not adding any more ads. Uh, the problem with the ads on the website was, I'm not going to tell you who I partnered with, but it was a, a name brand partner. And so I would I would have to daily sift through the ads. And you, have to rep- you can report ads that are misleading or you don't want on your website. And then you can even add keywords where it's like, I don't want any ads from this domain. I don't want any ads advertising this. And so that's separate from doing uh, category blocks. And so the joke of it is uh, they have like maybe 50 categories and you're only allowed to block 11. So there's going to be a lot of categories you don't want showing up on your website and you can't block them. And so that was frustrating. And then there was a lot of spam advertisement that clearly wasn't you know, reputable. I didn't want on my website. So I would have to sift through and click on each one. And even though I said block this domain, I don't want it showing up, it would still show up. So it was atrocious. I hated it the whole time. And finally, I'm just removing it. And so this is where Podcasting 2.0 comes in, is Podcasting 2.0, the apps have the ability to start streaming Bitcoin as you listen. So you're not streaming a whole Bitcoin back to me as you listen to the podcast you're only streaming in Satoshis, and it's completely up to you. You choose whatever you want. If you want to stream one Satoshi uh, for every minute you stream, listen, that's, that's completely fine. It's still a payment. It still helps out. And so t- Satoshi is um, the smallest unit of a Bitcoin there can possibly be. And so it's it's a very low number. It's under a tenth of a cent. And so you can say, okay, I want to stream... Um, 10 satoshis for every minute and so then by the time you listen to like an hour-long thing uh it might be you know 60 satoshis and you know that helps out a lot if everyone streamed a little bit it would help little satoshis back to the podcast it would help out a lot and then if there's something you like in the podcast you can actually as you're listening give what's called a boost and you can say okay i like this i'm going to get 300 satoshis and again, it's the choice is completely up to you. If you, you can say, I want to boost you know, 15,000 Satoshis, you can do that. And so there are a couple of podcasting 2.0 apps that I recommend. There's Fountain. And then if you want to chat along while the podcasts are coming out or uh, as a community, you can go to Sphinx Chat. And that will um, you can chat there and stream payments as you listen. And I will put the link of the podcast in the live stream. Uh, I need my keyboard. I was so smart and put it away. And I thought, I don't need it for anything. So there's the link. You can go to FotationsLiveToTape.com and that will take you to the podcast. There's also instructions on how to uh, manually add the podcast feed to iTunes if you want to stick with iTunes and and uh, other podcast players as well that are not podcasting 2.0 compliant. So we are reading the Junior Classics Volume One Fairy and Wonder Tales, and we're going to pick up with where we left off. This is uh, part three of the reading. We did about 
We did two parts, and each one's close to one hour. And so we're going to try to do another 40 to an hour, 40 minutes to an hour of reading. So let's, let's get back to work. How the Wicked Sons Were Duped by Joseph Jacobs A very wealthy old man imagined that he was on the point of death, sent for his sons, and divided his property among them. However, he did not die for several years afterward, and miserable years they, miserable many years of them they were. Besides the weariness of old age, the old fellow had to bear much abuse and cruelty from his sons, wretched, selfish, and greats. Previously they vied with one another in trying to please their father, hoping thus to receive more money. But now they had received their patrimony, and they cared not how soon he left them nay. The sooner the better, because he was only a needless trouble and expense, and they let the poor old man know what they felt. One day he met a friend and related to him all his troubles. The friend sympathized very much with him and promised to th think over the matter and call in a little while well, and tell him what to do. He did so. In a few days he visited the old man and put down four bags of stones and gravel before him. Look here, friend, said he, your sons will get to know of my coming here today, and will inquire about it. You must pretend that I came to discharge a long-standing debt with you, and that you are several thousands, and that you have several thousands of rupees richer than you thought you were. Keep these bags in your own hands, and on no account let your sons get to them as long as you are alive. You will soon find them change their conduct towards you. Salam. I shall go. I shall come again soon to see how you are getting on. The young men got to hear of this future. The young men got to hear of this future increase of wealth. They began to be more attentive and pleasing to their father than ever before, and thus they continued to the day of the old man's demise. When the bags were greedily opened, they found to contain only stones and gravel. And that was a short story, really short, and it's really true that you know some of the worst people are really greedy and uh, they'll do anything to get somebody's money, and a lot of times they will take advantage of the elder folk, and it's you know really sad to watch because once they get a hold of it, you know they just exactly like this story they cheat them horribly, or they cheat them horribly before and harass them or more financing and, and everything until, you know, the day they die. So that's why you have to really protect, you know, your your parents, your grandmother and everything. And watch for, you know, warning signs that other people aren't trying to take advantage of them. So here we have the next story, which is The Tiger, the Brahmin, and the Jackal by Floria Ann Steele. Once upon a time, a tiger was caught in a trap. He tried in vain to get out through the bars and rolled and bit with rage and grief when he was failed. By poor chance, a Brahmin came by. Let me out of this cage, O pious one, cried the tiger. Nay, my friend, replied the Brahmin mildly. You would probably eat me if I did. Not at all, swore the tiger with many oaths. On the contrary, I would be forever grateful and serve you as a slave. Now when the tiger sobbed and sighed, 
and wept and sword, the pious Brahmin heart softened, and at the last he consented to open the door of the cage. Out popped the tiger, and seizing the poor man, cried, What a fool you are! What is to prevent my eating you now? Af for after being cooped up for so long, I am terribly hungry. In vain the Brahmin pleaded for his life. The most he could gain was a promise to abide by the decision of the first three things he chose to question as the justice of the tiger's action. So the Brahmin first asked the pipal tree what it thought of the matter, but the pipal tree replied coldly, What have you to complain about? Don't I give shade and shelter to everyone who passes by? And don't they in return tear down my branches to feed their cattle? Don't whimper, amen. Then the Brahmin sad at heart went further afield till he saw a buffalo turning a well wheel a well wheel but he fared no better from it for it answered look are you a fool to expect gratitude look at me while i gave milk they fed me on cotton seed and oil cake but now i am dry they yoke me here and give me refuse at, refuse as falter the brahmin still more said the brahmin still more said asked the road to give him its opinion my dear sir, said the road, how foolish you are to expect anything else. Here I, here I am useful to everybody, yet all rich and poor, great and small, temple on me as they go past, leaving me both nothing but these ashes of their pipes and the husk of their grain. On this the Brahmin turned back sorrowfully, and on the way he met a jackal, who called out, Why, what's the matter, Mr. Brahmin? You look as miserable as a fish out of water. The Brahmin told him all that had occurred. How very confusing, said the jackal, when the recite was ended. Would you mind telling me over again, for everything has got so mixed up? The Brahmin told it all over again, but the jackal shook his head in a distracted sort of way, and still could not understand. It's very odd, said he, sadly, but it all seems to go in at one ear and out the other. I will go to the place where it all happened, and then perhaps I shall be able to give a judgment. So they returned to the cage by which the tiger was waiting for the Brahmin and sharpened his teeth and claws. You've been away a long time, growled the savage beast, but now let's begin our dinner. Our dinner, thought the wretched Brahmin, and his knees knocked together with fright. What a remarkable, de remarkably delicate way of putting it. Give me five minutes, my lord, he pleaded, in order that I may explain the matter to the jackal here, who is somewhat slow in his wits. The tiger consented, and the brahmin began the whole story over again, not missing a single detail, and spinning a, as long a yarn as possible. Oh, my poor brain, oh, my poor brain, cried the jackal, wringing its paws. Let me see, how did it all begin? You were here in the cage, and the tiger came walking by. Poof, interrupted the tiger. What a fool you are. I was in the cage. Of course, cried the jackal, pretending to tremble with fright. Yes, I was in the cage. No, I wasn't, dear. Dear, where are my wits? Let me see. The tiger was in the Brahmin, and the cage came walking by. No, that's not it either. Well, don't mind me, but begin your dinner, for I shall never understand. Yes, you shall, returned the tiger. In a rage at the jackal's stupidity, I'll make you understand. Look, 
Here I am, the tiger. Yes, my lord. And that's the Brahmin. Yes, my lord. And this is the cage. Yes, my lord. And I was in the cage. Do you understand? Yes, no. Please, my lord. Well, cried the tiger impatiently. Please, my lord. How did you get in? Why, in the usual way, of course. Oh, dear me. My head is beginning to whirl again. Please don't get angry, my lord. But what is the usual way? At this, the tiger lost patience and jumping into the cage, cried, This way. Now do you understand how it was? Perfectly grinned the jackal, as his dexterous, dexterously shut the door. And if you will permit me to say so, I think matters will remain as they were. That was a trick. It's kind of like the old series Columbo, where there was this detective, and he would ask a lot of questions, and all of them... He was a detective where, you know, it was, the t- it was a TV show, so everyone, you know, got murdered, and it was his job to solve it. And so he would go around interviewing people, and he'd ask, you know, dumb questions. They were really simple. So all of the I mean, all the murderers, you know, thought he was so stupid, and they were so clever. And so he just asked, you know, kind of these silly questions that were really basic. And then uh, he would, they would eventually slip up. And he would always catch him. He was like, oh, what did you mean by this? And they wouldn't even know that he slipped up. And so he you know, always busted them. Um, Columbo was played by the same actor from... Uh, what was it? It was that fantasy movie. Um, not A Knight's Tale, but... Oh, it bothers me. I can't remember it. But he was the storyteller in that. It it also had um, Andre the Giant. But the next story is... The next story is Lampkin by Flora Ann Steele. Once upon a time, there was a wee Lampkin who frolicked about on his little tortery legs and enjoyed himself amazingly. Now one day he set off to visit Germany and was jumping with joy to think of all the good things he could get from her. When who should meet but a jackal, who looked at the tender young morsel and said, Lampkin, Lampkin, I'll eat you. But Lampkin only gave a little frisk and said, To Granny's house I go, where I shall f- fight her now, then you can eat me so. The jackal thought of this reasonable, thought this reasonable, and let the lampkin pass. By and by he met a vulture, and the vulture, looking hungrily at the tender morsel before him, said, Lampkin, lampkin, I'll eat you. But the lampkin only gave a little frisk and said, To Granny's house I go, where I shall fatter grow. Then you can eat me so. The vulture thought this reasonable, and let the lampkin pass. And by and by he met a tiger, then a wolf and a dog, a reed and an eagle, and all of these they saw the tender little morsel and said, Lampkin, lampkin, I'll eat you. But to all of them the lampkin replied with a little frisk, to Granny's house I go, where I shall fatter grow, then you can eat me so. At last he reached his Granny's house, and said in a great hurry, Granny dear, I've promised to get very fat, so as people ought to keep their promise, please put me into the corn bin at once. So his Granny said he was a good boy, and put him into the corn bin, and there the greedy little lambkin stayed for seven days, and ate, and ate, and ate until he could scarcely waddle, and his granny said he was fat enough for anything, and must go home. 
but cunning little lambkin said that he would never do so for some animals would be sure to eat him on the way back he was so plump and tender i'll tell you what you must do said master lambkin you must make a little drumkin out of the skin of my little brother who died and then i can sit inside and truffle along nicely for i am as tight as a drum myself so his granny made a nice little drumkin out of his brother's skin and with the wool inside the lambkin curled himself up and snugged the worn in the middle and trundled away gaily soon lie soon lie met with the eagle who called out drunken drunken have you seen lambkin and mr lambkin curled up in his soft warm nest and replied fallen into the fire and so will you o little drumkin tumpa tumtu how very annoying sighed the eagle thinking regretfully of the tender morsel he had let slip meanwhile the lambkin trundled along laughing to himself and singing tumpa tumtu tumpa tumtu every animal and bird he met asked him with the same question drumkin drumkin have you seen lambkin and to each of them the little sly boots replied fallen into the fire and so will you on the little drumkin tumpa tumtu tumpa tumtu tumpa tumtu then they all sighed to think of the tender little morsel they had let slip at last the jackal came limping along for all his sorry looks as sharp as a needle and he too called out dumkin dumkin have you seen lumpkin and lumpkin curled up in his snug little nest and replied gaily fallen into the fire and so will you o little drumkin tumpa but he never got any further for the jackal recognized his voice at once and cried hello you've turned yourself inside out have you just come out of that whereupon he tore open dumpkins and gobbled up lumpkin he almost made it it's always the last one to get you then we have the rat's wedding by flora ann steele once upon a time a fat sleek rack was caught in a shower of rain and being far from shelter he set to work a soon dug a nice hole in the ground in which he sat as dry as a bone while the raindrops splashed outside making little puddles on the road now in the course of digging he came upon a fine bit of root quite dryly and fit for fuel which he sat aside carefully for the rat and an economical creature in order to make it a home with him so when the shower was over he set off with the dry root in his mouth as he went along daintily picking up his way through the puddles he saw a poor man vainly trying to light a fire while little circles of child while a little circle of children stood by and cried piteously good gracious exclaimed the rat who was both soft-hearted and curious what a dreadful noise to make what is the matter the children are hungry answered the man they are crying for their breakfast but the sticks are damp and the fire won't burn so i can't bake the cakes if that's all your trouble perhaps i can help you said the good-natured rat you are welcome to this dry food and i'll warrant it will soon make a fine blaze the poor man with a thousand thanks took the dry root and in his turn presented the rat with a morsel of dough as a reward for his kindness and generosity what a remarkable fellow i am thought the rat as he trotted off gaily with his prize and clever too fancy making a bargain like that food enough to last me five days in return for a rotten old stick wah 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 
what it is to have brains, going along hugging his food, hugging his good fortune, and this way he came presently to a potter's yard, where the potter, leaving his wheel to spin round by itself, was trying to pacify his three little children, who were screaming awry, crying as if they would burst. My gracious, cried the rat, stopping his ears, what a noise! Do tell me what it is all about. I suppose they are hungry, replied the potter, ruefully. Their mother has gone to get flour in the bazaar, for there is none in the house. In the meantime, I can neither work nor rest because of them. Is that all? answered the officious rat. Then I can help you. Take this dough, cook it quickly, and stop it in their mouths with food. The potter overwhelmed the rat with thanks, and for his obliging kindness, and choosing out a well-bird pumpkin, insisted on his acceptance of the remembrance. The rat was delighted at the exchange, and thought the pipkin was just a trifle awkward for him to manage. He succeeded after an infinite trouble in balancing it on his head, and went away gingerly, tink-a-tink, tink-a-tink, down the road with his tail over his arm for fear he would trip on it. And all the time he kept saying to himself, What a lucky fellow I am, and clever too, such a hand at a bargain. By and by he came to where some cowheads were herding their cattle. One of them was milking a buffalo, and having no pail, he used his shoe instead. Oh, fie, oh, fie, cried the cleanly rat, the cleanly rat, quite shocked at the sight. What a nasty, dirty trick. Why don't you use a pail? For the best of all reasons, we haven't got one, growled the coward, who did not see why the rat should put his finger in the pie. If that is all, replied the dainty rat, oblige me by using this pumpkin, for I cannot bear it. The cowherd, nothing loath, took the pumpkin and milked away until it was brimming over. Then the rat turned to the rat, who stood looking on, said, Here, fellow, you may have a drink in payment. But if the rat was good-natured, he was also shrewd. No, my friend, he said, that will not do, as if I could drink the worth of any pumpkin at a draft. My dear, I cannot hold it. Besides, I never make a bad bargain, so I expect you at least to give me the buffalo that gave the milk. Nonsense, cried the cowherd. A buffalo for a pimkin? Whoever heard of such a price? And what on earth could you do with a buffalo when you got it? Why, the pimkin was about as much as you could manage. At this, the rat drew himself up with dignity, for he did not like the elevation of his size. What is my affairs? Not yours, retorted. Your business is to hand over the buffalo. So for this, so just for the fun of the thing, and to amuse themselves at the rat's expense, the cowherds loosened the buffalo's halter and began to tie it to the little animal's tail. No, no, he called in a great hurry. If the beast pulls, the skin of my tail would come off, and there would I be, tied around my neck, if you please. So with much laughter, at the cowherds tied the halter round the cat's neck, and he, after a polite leave-taking, leave set off gaily toward the home with his prize. That is to say, he set off with the rope, for no sooner did he come to the end of the tether than be brought up by a round turn and the buffalo's nose down, grazing away. He could not budge until he had finished the tulf of grass, and by then seeing another in a different direction, marched off toward it. 
while the rat, to avoid being dragged, had to trot humbly behind. Willy-nilly, he was too proud to confess the truth, of course, and nodding his head knowingly to the cowherd said, Ta-da, good people, I am going home this way. It might be a little longer, but it is much shadier. And when the cowherd roared with laughter, he took no notice, but trotted on, looking as dignified as possible. After all, he reasoned to himself, when one keeps a buffalo, one has to look after its grazing. A beast must get a good bellyful of grass, if it is to give any milk, and I have plenty of time at my disposal. So all day long he trotted around after the buffalo, making believe, but by evening he was dread and tired, and felt truly thankful when he got the big beast, having eaten enough to lay down under a tree and chew the cud. Just then a bridal party came by, and the bridegroom and his friends had evidently gone on to the next village, leaving the bride's planikin to follow. So the planikin bearers, being lazy fellows and seeing the nice shady tree, put down their burden and began to cook some food. What detestable meanness, grumbled one, a grand wedding, and nothing but a plain rice to eat, not a scrap of meat in it, neither sweet nor salt. It was severe of the sh the skinflints, right, if we upset the bride into a ditch. Dear me, cried the rat at once, seeing a way out of his difficulty, but that is a shame. I sympathize with your feelings so entirely that if you will allow me, I will give you my buffalo. You can kill it and cook it. Your buffalo returned the discontented bearers. What rubbish! Who ever heard of a rat owning a buffalo? Not often, I admit, replied the rat with conscious pride. But look for yourselves. Can you not see that I am leading this beast by a string? Oh, never mind the string, cried the big hungry bearer. Master or no master, I mean to have meat for my dinner. Whereupon they killed the buffalo and cooked its flesh, ate their dinner with relish, and they offered the remains to the rat, said carelessly, Here, little ratskin, that says for you. Now look here, cried the rat hotly, I'll have none of your pottage or your sauce either. You don't suppose I'm going to give my best buffalo that gave quarts and quarts of milk, the buffalo I have been feeding all day for a wee bit of rice? No, I got a loaf for a bit of stick. I'm going, I've got a pimpkin for a little loaf. I got a I've got a buffalo for a pimpkin, and now I have the bride for my buffalo, the bride and nothing else. By this time the servants, having satisfied their hunger, began to reflect on what they had done, and becoming alarmed at the consequences, arrived at the conclusion that it would be wisest to make their escape while they could. So leaving the bride in her pelican, they took to their heels in various directions. The rat being, as it were, left in possession, advanced to the planking and drawing aside the curtain the sweetest of voices the sweetest voices and best of bows begged the bride to descend she hardly knew whether to laugh or cry but as any company even a rat was better than being quite alone in the wilderness she did what she was bidden and followed the lead of her guide who set off as fast as he could before his hole as he trotted along beside the lovely young bride, who by her rich dress and glistening jewels seemed to be some king's daughter, he kept saying to himself, How clever am I, what bargains I do make, to be sure. When they arrived at his hole, the rat stepped forward, and with the greatest politeness, and said, 
Welcome, madame, to my humble abode. Pray step in, or if you will, allow me, and as the passenger is somewhat dark, I will show you the way. Whereupon the rat in first, but after some time, finding the bride did not follow, he put his nose out again, saying testily, Well, madam, why don't you follow? Don't you know it's rude to keep your husband waiting? My good sir, laughed the handsome young bride. I can't squeeze into that little roll. The rat, the rat coughed. Then after a moment's the wild plums. I can't live on wild plums, retorted the weeping bride. Nobody could. Besides, they are only half ripe, and I can't reach them. Rubbish, cried the rat. Ripe or unripe, they must do you for tonight and tomorrow. You can gather the basket, then sell them in the city and buy sugar drops and sweet eggs to your heart's content. So the next morning the rat climbed into the plum tree Oh, I skipped a page. Doo, doo, doo. Good sir, laughed the handsome young bride. I can't squeeze into that little hole. The rat coughed, and then after a moment thought, he replied, there is some truth in your remark. You are overgrown, and I suppose I shall have to build you a thatch somewhere, for tonight you can rest under that wild plum tree. But I am so hungry, said the bride ruefully. Dear, dear, everyone seems to be hungry today, returned the rat peppersly. How that's easily settled. I'll fetch you some supper in a trice. So he ran into his hole and returned immediately with an ear of millet and dry pea. There, said triumphantly, isn't that a fine meal? I can't eat that, whimpered the pride. It isn't a mouthful, and I want rice pottage and cakes and sweet eggs and sugar drops. I shall die if I don't get them. Oh, dear me, cried the rat in a rage. What a nuisance a bride is, to be sure. Why don't you eat the wild plums? I can't live off wild plums, retorted the weeping bride. Nobody could. Besides, they are only half ripe, and I can't reach them. Rubbish, cried the rat. Ripe or unripe, they must do you for tonight, and tomorrow you can gather a basket, sell them in the city, and buy sugar, bro sugar drops and sweet eggs to your heart's content. So the next morning the rat climbed up into the plum tree and nibbled away at the stalks till the fruit the fruit fell down into the bride's veil. Then unripe they were, she carried them into the city, calling out through the streets, Green plums, I sell green plums, I sell. Princess am I, rat brides as well. As she passed the palace, her mother, the queen, heard her voice, and running out, recognizing her daughter, Great were the rejoicings, for everyone thought the poor bride had been eaten by wild beasts. In the midst of the feasting and merriment, the rat who had followed the princess at a distance and had become alarmed at her long absence, arrived at the door against which he beat with a knobbly stick, calling out fiercely, Give me my wife! Give me my wife! She is mine by a fair bargain. I gave a stick and I got a loaf. I gave a loaf and I got a pimpkin. I gave a pumpkin and I got a buffalo. I gave a buffalo and I got a bride. Give me my wife. Give me my wife. Ah, son-in-law, what a fuss you do make, said the willy old queen through the door. And all about nothing. Who wants to run away with your wife? On the contrary, we are proud to see you. And I only kept you waiting at the door till we can spread the carpet and receive you in style. Hearing this, the rat was mollified and waited patiently outside while the cunning old queen prepared for his reception.
which she did by cutting a hole in the very middle of a stool, putting the red-hot stone underneath, covering it over with a stew pan lid, and then spreading a beautiful embroidered cloth all over it. Then she went to the door, and receiving the rat with the greatest respect, led him to the stool, praying him to be seated. Dear, dear, how clever I am! What a bargain I do make, to be sure, said he to himself as he climbed onto the stool. Here I am, son-in-law, to a real-life queen. What will the neighbors say? At first he sat down on the edge of the stool, but even there it was warm. After a while he began to fidget, saying, Dear me, mother, and la, how hot your house is. Everything I touch seems burning. You are out of the wind here, my son, replied the cunning old queen. Sit more in the middle of the stool, then you will feel the breeze and get cooler. But he didn't. For the stew pan's lid by this time had become so hot that the rat fairly fizzled when he sat down on it, and it was not until he had left all his tail and half his hair and a large piece of his skin behind that he managed to escape, howling with pain and vowing that never, never again would he make a bargain. And that's the trick with bargaining. You gotta know when to quit. The Jackal and the Partridge by Flora Ann Steele. A jackal and a partridge swore eternal friendship, but the jackal was very exciting and jealous. You don't do half as much for me as I do you, he used to say, and yet you take a great deal of our friendship. Now my idea of a friend is one who is able to make me laugh or cry, give me a good meal, or save my life if need be. You couldn't do that. Let us see, answered the partridge. Follow me at a little distance. If I don't make you laugh soon, I'm, you may eat me. So she flew till she met two travelers trudging along, one behind the other. They were both footsore and weary, and the first carried his bundle on his a bundle on a stick over his shoulder, while the second had his stones in hand. Slightly as the feather, the par partridge settled on the first traveler's stick. He, none the wiser, trudged along. But the soon the second traveler, seeing a bird sitting so tamely just in front of his nose, said to himself, What a chance for supper, and immediately flung his shoe at it, they being ready to hand, whether upon the partridge flew away, and the shoe knocked off the first traveler's turban. What a plague do you mean? cried angrily, turning on his companion. Why do you throw shoes at my head? Brother, replied the other mildly, do not be vexed. I didn't throw them at you, but at a partridge that was sitting on your stick. On my stick, do you take me for a fool? shouted the injured man in a great rage. Don't tell me you such a cock and bull story. First you insult me, then you lie like a coward, but I'll teach you manners. Then he fell upon his fellow traveler without more ado, and they fought until they could not see out of each other's eyes, till their noses bled, bleeding, their clothes in rags, and the jackal had nearly died of laughing. Are you satisfied? asked the partridge of her friend. Well, answered the jackal, you have certainly made nine laugh, but I doubt if you could make me cry. It is easy enough to be a buffoon. It is more difficult to excite the highest emotions. Let us see, retorted the partridge, somewhat procured. This is a huntsman with his dogs coming along the road. Just keep into that hollow tree and watch me. If you don't weep scalding tears, then you must have no feeling in you. 
and the jackal did as he was bid, and watched the partridge who began fluttering about the bushes till the dog caught sight of her, and when she flew to the hollow tree where the jackal was hidden, of course the dog smelt him at once, and set up such a yelping and scratching that the huntsman came up, and seeing what it was, dragged the jackal out by the tail, whereupon the dogs worried him to their heart's content, and finally left him for dead. Whereupon the dogs worried him to their heart's content, and finally left him for dead. By and by he opened his eyes, for he was only foxing, and he saw the partridge sitting on the branch above him. Did you cry? she asked anxiously. Did I rouse you, your high emotion? Be quiet, will you, snarled the jackal, half dead with fear. So there the jackal lay for some time, getting the better of his bruises, and meanwhile he became hungry. Now is the time for friendship, said he to the partridge. Get me a good dinner, and I will acknowledge you a true friend. Very well, replied the partridge. Only watch me and help yourself when the time comes. Just then a troop of women came by carrying their husband's dinner to the harvest field. The partridge gave a little plaintive cry and began fluttering along the bush to bush as if she were wounded. A wounded bird, a wounded bird, cried the woman. We can catch it easily. Whereupon they set off in pursuit, but the cunning partridge played a thousand tricks till they became so excited over the chance that they put their bundles on the ground in order to pursue it more nibbly. The jackal, meanwhile, seizing his opportunity, crept up and made off with a good dinner. Are you satisfied now? asked the partridge. Well, returned the jackal, I confess you have given me a good deal, a very good dinner. You have also made me laugh and cry a hem. But after all, the great test of friendship is beyond you. You couldn't save my life. Perhaps not, requested the partridge mournfully. I am so small and weak, but it grows late and we should be getting home. And as it is a long way route by the ford, let us go across the river, my friend. My crocodile will carry us over. Accordingly, they set off for the river, and the crocodile kindly consented to carry them across, so they sat on the broad back and ferried them over. But they were just in the middle of the stream, the partridge remarked, I believe the crocodile intends to play a trick on us. How awkward if he were to drop you into the water. Awkward for you, too, replied the jackal, turning pale. Not at all, not at all. I have wings, you haven't. On this the jackal shivered and shook with fear, and when the crocodile, in a gruesome growl, remarked that he was hungry and wanted a good meal, stretched, the wretched creature hadn't a word to say. Pooh, cried the partridge airily, don't try tricks on us, or I shall fly away, and as for my friend the jackal, you couldn't hurt him, he is not such a fool as to take his life with him on a little excursion. He leaves it at home, locked up in a cupboard. Is that a fact? asked the crocodile, surprised. Certainly, retorted the partridge. Try to eat him if you like, but you will only tire yourself to no purpose. Dear me, how very odd, grasped the crocodile, and he was so taken aback that he carried the jackal safe to shore. Well, are you satisfied now? asked the partridge. My dear madame, quoth the jackal, you have made me laugh, you have made me cry. You have given me a good dinner, and you have saved my life, but upon my honor I think you are too clever a friend, so good-bye. And the jackal never went near the partridge again. The Jackal and the Crocodile 
by Fiona Ann Steele. Once upon a time, Mr. Jackal was trotting along gaily when Lai caught sight of a wild plum tree laden with fruit on the other side of the board, deep, broad, deep stream. I could not get across anyhow, so he just sat on the bank and looked at the ripe, luscious fruit until his mouth watered with desire. Now it so happened that just then, Miss Crocodile came floating down the stream with her nose in the air. Good morning, my dear, said Mr. Jackal, politely. How beautiful you look today, and how charming you swim. Now I could only swim too. What a fine feast of plums we two friends might have over there together. And Mr. Jackal laid his paw on his heart and sighed. Now Miss Crocodile had a very inflammable heart, and when Mr. Jackal looked at her so admirably and spoke so sentimentally, she simpered and blushed, saying, Oh, Mr. Jackal, how can you talk so? I could never dream of going out to dine, dinner with you, unless, unless, unless what asked the jackal persuasively, unless we were going to be married, simpered Miss Crocodile. And why shouldn't we be married, my charmer, returned the jackal eagerly. I would go and fetch a barber and begin the betrothal at once, but I am so faint with hunger just at present that I should never reach the village now, if the most adorable of her sex would only take pity on her slave and carry me over the stream, I might refresh myself with those plums and so gain strength to accomplish the ardent desire of my heart. Here the jackal sighed so piteously and the cast such steep eyes at Miss Crocodile that she was unable to withstand him. So she carried him across the plum tree and then sat on the water's edge to think over the wedding dress while Mr. Jackal feasted on the plums and enjoyed himself. Now for the barber, my beauty, cried the gay jackal when he had eaten as much as he could. Then brushing Miss Crocodile carried him back again and bade him be quick about his business like a dear good creature for really she felt so flustered at the very idea that she didn't know what might happen. Now don't distress yourself, my dear, quoth the deceitful Mr. Jekyll, springing to the bank, because it is not impossible what that I may not find the barber, and then you know you have to wait some time, a considerable time, in fact, before I return, so don't inquire your health for my sake, if you please. With that he blew her a kiss and trotted away with his tail up. Of course he never came back, through the trusty Miss Crocodile waited patiently for him. At last she understood what a gay, deceitful fellow he was and determined to have her revenge on him one way or another. So she hid herself in the water under the roots of a tree close to the ford where the jackal always came to drink. By and by, sure enough, he came lidding along the self-satisfying way and went right into the water for a good long draft, whereupon Miss Crocodile seized him by the right leg and headed off he guessed at once what had happened and called out oh my heart's adored i am drowning i am drowning if you love me leave me hold of that old root and get a good grip of my leg it's just next door hearing this the crocodile thought she must have made a mistake and letting go of the jackal's leg in a hurry seized an old root close by and held on whereupon mr jackal jumped nimbly out to shore and ran out with his tail up, calling out, 
Have a little patience, my beauty. The barber will come by some day. But this time Miss Crocodile knew better than to wait, and being now dreadfully angry, she crawled away to the jackal's hole and slipping inside lay quiet. By and by, by and by, Mr. Jackal came lidding along with his tail up. Ho, 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 that is your game, is it? He said to himself when he saw the trail of the crocodile in the sandy soil. So he stood outside and said aloud, Bless my heart, what happened? I don't half like to go in, for whatever I come home, my wife always calls out. What dearest hubby hub, what have you brought for grub to me the darling club? And today she doesn't say anything. Hearing this, the crocodile sang out from inside, Oh, dearest hub hub, what have you brought for grub to me and the darling cub? The jackal winked a very big wink, and stealing in softly stood at the doorway. Meanwhile, Miss Crocodile, hearing him coming, held her breath and lay shaming dread like a big log. Bless my stars, cried Mr. Jackal, taking out of his pocket handkerchief. How very sad. Here poor Miss Crocodile stone dead for all the love of me. Dear, dear, it is very odd, and I don't think she can be quite dead. For now, for dead, folks always wag their tails. On this, Miss Crocodile began to wag her tail very gently, and Mr. Jackal ran off, roaring with laughter, and saying, Oh, 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 so dead folks always wag their tails. The Jackal and the Iguana by Flora Ann Steele One moonlight night, a miserable half-starved jackal sulking through the village found a worn-out pair of shoes in the gutter. They were too tough for him to eat, so determined to make some use of them, he strung them to his ears like earrings, and going down to the edge of the pond, gathered all the old bones he could find together, and put a platform of them, plastering it over the mud. On this he sat in a dignified attitude, and when any animal came to the pond to drink, he cried out in a loud voice, Hi, stop! You must not taste a drop till you have done homage to me. So repeat these verses which I have composed in honor of the occasion. Silver is his dais, plastered on you with gold. In his ears the jewels come, prince I must behold. Now his most, now as most of the animals were very thirsty and in a great hurry to drink, they did not care to dispute the matter, but grabbed off the words without a second thought. Even the royal tiger, treating it as a jest, repeated the jackal's rhyme, in consequence of which the latter became quite a cock-a-hoop, and really began to believe he was a personage of great importance. By and by, an iguana or a big lizard came wandering down the water, looking for all the world like a baby alligator. Hi, you there, sang out the jackal. You mustn't drink until you have said, Silver is his dais, plastered with gold, and in the ear of the jewelsome prince I must behold. Poof, 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 grasped the iguana. Marry on us, how dry my throat is. Might I just have a wee sip of water first? Then I could do just justice to your admirable line. At present I am a horse as a cow. By all means, replied the jackal, with a gratified smirk, I flatter myself the verses are good, especially when well recited. So the iguana nosed down in the water, 
drank away until the jackal began to think he would never leave off, and was quite taken aback when he finally came to an end of his draft and began to move away. Hi, hi, cried the jackal, recovering his presence of mind. Stop a bit and say, Silver is his dais, plaster ye with gold. And in his ears the jewels come, Prince I must behold. Dear me, replied the iguana politely, I was very near forgetting. Let me see, I must try my voice first to re me fa so la si. That's right. So let's, does it run? Silver is his dais, plaster with gold. In his ears are jewels, some prince I must behold. Repeat the jackal, not observing that the lizard was carefully edging farther and farther away. Exactly so, returned the iguana. I think I could say that. Whereupon he sang out to the tops of his voice, Bones made up his dais with mud and plaster. Old shoes are his eardrops, a jackal nothing more. And turning around, he bolted for his hole as hard as he could. The jackal could scarcely believe his ears and sat dumb with astonishment. Then, rage lending him wings, he flew after the lizard, who, despite his short legs and scratchy breath, put his best foot foremost and scuttled away at great rate. It was near a race. However, just as he popped into his hole, the jackal caught him by the tail and held on. Then it was a case of pull, butcher, pull, and baker, until the lizard made certain his tail must come off, and he felt as if his front teeth would come out. Still not an inch did either budge, one way or another, and there they might have remained till the present day had it not the iguana called out in his sweetest tone, Friend, I give in. Just leave hold of my tail, will you? I can then turn round and come out. Whereupon the jackal let go, and the tail disappeared up the hole in a twinkling, while all the reward the jackal got for digging away until his nails were nearly worn out was hearing the iguana sing softly. Bones made up his dais with mud and plaster. Old shoes are his eardrops, a jackal nothing more. This is going to be the last story. The Bear's Bad Bargain by Fiona Ann Steele Once upon a time, a very old woodsman lived with his very old wife in a tiny hut, close to the orchard of a very rich man, so close that the bot of a pear tree hung right over the cottage yard. Now it was agreed between the rich man and the woodsman that if any fruit fell into the yard, the old couple would be allowed to eat it. So you can imagine what hungry eyes they watched, the pears ripening and prayed for a storm of wind or flock of flying foxes or anything which could cause the fruit to fall. But nothing came, and the old wife, who was a grumbly, sidling old thing, declared they should infallibly become beggars. So she took to her husband, noting the dry, nothing but dry bread to eat, and insisted on his working harder than ever, till the poor old soul got quite thin, and all because the pear would not fall down. At last the woodman turned around and declared he would not work more unless his wife gave him a kitchi for his dinner. So with a very bad grace, the old woman took some rice and pulls, some butter and spice, and began to cook the savory kimchi. What an appetizing smell it had to be for sure. 
The woodman was gobbling it up as soon as effort was ready. No, no, cried the greedy old wife. Not until you have brought with me in another load of wood. And mind it, it's a good one. You must work for your dinner. So the old man set off to the forest and began to hack and hew with such a will that he soon had quite a large bundle, and with every faggot he cut himself to sweat the savory and kintry and think of the feast that was coming. Just then a bear came by, swinging. Just then a bear came swinging by, with its great black nose tilted in the air and its little keen eyes peering about. For the bear, though good enough fellow, on the whole, are just dreadfully inquisitive. Peace be with you, friends," said the bear. "And what may you be doing with that remarkable large bundle of wood?" "It is for my wife," returned the woodsman. "The fact is," he added confidently, smacking his lips, "she has made such a kimchi for dinner, and I bring in wood, a good wood bundle. She is pretty sure to give me a plenty portion." "Oh, my dear fellow." You should just smell that kimchi. At this, the bear's mouth began to water, for like all bears, he was a dreadful glutton. Do you think your wife would give me, would give might some too, if I brought her a bundle of wood? He asked anxiously. Perhaps if it is a very big load, answered the woodsman craftily. Would would four eight hundred, four hundred weight be enough? Asked the bear. I'm afraid not. Returned the woodsman. Shaking his head, you see, kimchi is a very expensive dish to make. There is rice in it, plenty of it, but the pulse and would eight hundred weight do? Half a ton, and it's a bargain, quoth the woodsman. Half a ton is a large quantity, cited the bear. There's a saffron in the kimchi, remarked the woodsman casually. The bear licked his lips, and his little eyes twinkled with greed and delight. Well, it's a bargain. Go home, sharp and tell your wife to keep the kimchi hot. I'll be with you in a trice. Away went the woodsman in great glee to tell his wife how the bear had agreed to bring half a ton of wood in return for a share of the kimchi. Now the wife could not help allowing that her husband had made a good bargain, but being by nature a grumbler, she was determined not to be pleased, so she began to scold the old man for not having settled exactly the share the bear was to have. For she will have, for, she said, he will have gobbled up the potful before we have finished our first helping. On this, the woodsman became quite pale. In that case, he said, we have better begin now and have a fair start. Without more ado, they squatted down on the floor with the brass pot full of kimchi between them and began to eat as fast as they could. Remember to leave some for the bear, wife, said the woodsman. Speaking with his mouth crammed full, certainly, certainly, she replied, helping herself to another handful. My dear, cried out the old woman in turn, with her mouth full, she could hardly speak. Remember the poor bear. Certainly, certainly, my love, returned the old man, taking another mouthful. So it went on till there was not a single grain left in the pot. What will be done now, the woodsman? It is all your fault, wife, for eating so much. My fault, retorted the wife scornfully. Why, you ate twice as much as I did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Men always eat more than women. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Well, it's no use quarreling about it now, said the woodsman. The kinchi's gone, and the bear will be furious. That wouldn't matter much if we could get the wood, said the greedy old woman. I'll tell you what we must do. 
You must lock up everything there is to eat in the house, leave the kintry pot by the fire, and hide in the garret. When the bear comes, he will think we have gone out and left his dinner. Then we will throw down this bundle and come in. Of course, he will rampage a, rampage a little when his when he finds the pot is empty, but he can't do much mischief, and I don't think he will take the trouble of carrying the wood away. So they made haste to lock up all the food and hide themselves in the garret. Meanwhile, the bear began toiling and moiling away at his bundle of wood, which took him much longer to collect than he expected. However, at last he arrived quite exhausted at the woodcutter's cottage. Seeing the brass kinshi pot by the fire, he threw down his load and went in, and then mercifully he wasn't and then mercy wasn't he angry when he found nothing in the not even grain of rice nor a wee bit tiny of pulse, but only the smell that was so uncommonly nice that he actually cried with rage and disappointment. He flew into the most dreadful temper, but though he turned the house topsy-turvy, he could not find a morsel of food. Finally, he declared he would take the wood away again, but as the crafty old woman had imagined, when he came to the task, he did not care, even for the sake of revenge, to carry so heavy a burden. I won't go away empty-handed, he said to himself, seizing the kimchi pot. If I can't get the taste, I'll have the smell. Now he left the cottage. He caught sight of the beautiful golden pears hanging over into the yard. His mouth began to water at once, for he was desperately hungry, and the pears were the best of the season. In a trice he was on the wall and up the tree, gathering the biggest and ripest ones he could find, was just putting them into his mouth, and when he thought, when a thought struck him, if I take these pears home, I shall be able to sell them for ever so much that the other bears, and then, with all the money, I shall be able to buy some kimchi. Ah, ah, I shall be the best of the bargain after all. So saying this, he began to gather the ripe pears as fast as he could and put them in the chinri pot. But whether he came to an unripe one, he would shake his head and say, No one would buy that, yet it is a pity to waste it. So he would pop it into his mouth and eat it, making wry faces as if it was very sour. Now all this time the woodsman wife had been watching the bear through the crevice and holding her breath for fear of discovery, but at last what was being asthmatic and having a cold in her head, she could not hold it any longer, and just as the kimchi pot was quite full of golden ripe pears, out she came with the most tremulous sneeze you ever heard. Achoo! The bear, thinking someone had fired a gun at him, dropped the kimchi pot into the cottage yard and fled into the forest as fast as his legs would carry him. So the woodman and his wife got the kimchi, the wood, and the coveted pears, but the poor bear got nothing but a very bad stomachache from eating unripe fruit. I want to thank everyone for listening to this reading of the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales. This was recorded live on Twitch with Thumbs United. There are links to the Thumbs United Twitch channel, as well as you can view it on our Fotations blog. And there will be a link for that below, as well as social media info and methods to which you can donate to keep the series going, uh, both financially and you can donate equipment. Thank you for viewing this live-to-tape video. 
Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye.